0: Have you ever found yourself in a season of life in which you struggled to fit in, just didn't feel like you fit where you were at? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Are you experiencing it in this moment? I hope not, because you belong here, right? So uh, I had a season like that in life um, in my high school years, uh, a season in which I didn't feel like I had a place to fit, and so I went in pursuit of that a place to fit in. Um, I'm sure you can imagine what happens when a young impressionable teenager sets off with the sole pursuit of finding anyone to fit in with. That did not go well. Uh, things went really poorly, in fact, and, and uh, went down a, a pretty destructive path and, and season in life. Today, as we continue a series in the Prophets in Scripture, we're going to find Israel in kind of a similar place. Israel, a people called by God in covenant relationship with Him, in which God said, I'm going to bless you that you can be a blessing to all the nations. But Israel didn't stick with that covenant. They were supposed to shine in the world, right? They were supposed to be a demonstration of how God's people partner with him and bringing healing and reconciliation in the world. And they entirely lost sight of that and just kind of wanted to fit in with the other nations. So they started adopting other gods and they start practicing uh, the the things of other other nations and other religions. And of course, with that came consequence, a destructive and painful season in the story of Israel. Today we'll be in the book of uh, Isaiah.
1: Isaiah. So we've been in the prophets for a few weeks now. And the last few prophets we've looked at were prophets who prophesied in northern Israel, in the northern kingdom. This was the time of the divided kingdoms, so the, the divided monarchy. So you had Judah down south, um, who had a king in Jerusalem, and then you had the northern kingdom. Well, Isaiah actually lived in Jerusalem. So he lived in the southern kingdom in Judah. And so we're going to be looking at, uh, in Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah for two weeks, actually. It's a really long book. It's 66 chapters. Um, and it's, it's a really, it's a really powerful collection of Isaiah's, um, message to Jerusalem, to the people. And it's divided up into two different sections. And so, Chapters 1 through 39 are, is a collection and anthology of all of Isaiah's messages, of what he preached, of what he prophesied. And he spoke pointing to the fall of Jerusalem. And he spoke about the exile that was coming when Babylon would come and they would take over and they would, um, much of Israel would be exiled. And this actually came to pass about a hundred years after Isaiah lived. And so the first section, uh, chapters 1 through 39, really speak to this. And then the second part of Isaiah, uh, chapters 40 through 66, is a little bit different because it's written from the perspective of someone who lived after the exile. And so the exile was about 70 years long, So, and it was well after Isaiah lived, but it's written by someone who lived after the exile. So likely, it was written by Isaiah's disciples, people who listened to Isaiah and learned what he was teaching. And, and there's several instances in the book of Isaiah where it speaks of Isaiah writing writing his messages down and then sealing up the scrolls and giving them to his disciples. And so it's these this, the disciples' perspective who had seen Isaiah's words come true. What God had spoken through Isaiah. And they were, they were showing how God had fulfilled those prophecies and that there was hope and salvation coming.
0: So today we're going to be in that first section, chapters 1 through 39, and um, as with most of the prophets, especially the longer books of the prophets, uh, the message is kind of cyclical. Uh, It it has to do with um, God's judgment against Israel, and then there's this moment of hope, but you know, God will restore, and it's kind of cyclical. So today we're going to go through kind of one of those cycles and get an idea for what Isaiah was speaking um, to Israel, to Judah in this time. We'll start uh, not in chapter 1, but instead in chapter 6. We're in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, and this is where God is calling Isaiah. Isaiah is recording and and, and reciting to the people the way he received his calling. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim, these are angels as God is is calling him, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. It's kind of a curious and strange scene. All sorts of Strange things happening in there, yeah. It
1: really is, and it's this vision that Isaiah sees in which God is calling him to be um, his prophet. And in this vision, Isaiah is, is in the presence of a holy God, of the holy God, and in the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah is confronted with his own and Israel's unholiness, with their unfaithfulness. The contrast is so great. And so as God speaks, Um, to Isaiah in this vision. Um, Isaiah is overwhelmed by these feelings of, of, I, I shouldn't be here in the presence of holiness. And so as God calls Isaiah, he also provides a way for Isaiah to be atoned, for Isaiah to be restored. And so there's this image of this live coal, um, doesn't sound pleasant. (laughs) A live coal being put to his lips. But again, this is, this is a vision. This is metaphorical language. It's this image of a purifying fire, that God would come and would burn away all that was evil and all that was sinful and, and in a purifying um, moment. And this is going to be a repeated theme in the book of Isaiah. you hear language of the old Jerusalem that is wicked. It has turned away from God and then this refining fire and then God um, in creating a new Jerusalem that is, that is holy and that is following God.
0: So, God has come to Isaiah and, and said, I want you to go and preach. Isaiah recognizes his uncleanliness. God, uh, figuratively or, or in this ceremony, cleanses him, and, uh, and in uh, Isaiah 6, chapter 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Hear my send me. This is a very different response than we've heard from a lot of the other prophets, as we've read in Scripture. Uh, Throughout Scripture, we read interactions with God and Moses, or God and a man named Jonah, and it always uh, is—God's presence and God's call is quite often met with fear and resistance. And for a moment, we saw that in Isaiah as well. He recognized his uncleanliness, uh, but then quickly turns uh, and and pivots towards God's will. We remember, uh, as we said, the, the prophet Jonah. He, he ran on a ship and he threw himself into the sea and is swallowed by a fish, all in the process of trying to get away from God's God's intent, God's plan for his life. I found myself this week as I was reflecting upon Isaiah and his response here, um, recognizing that, that I often find myself in the position of Jonah or of Moses, fearful and argumentative at God's plan for my life, resisting. And Isaiah uh, is a remarkable demonstration here of what it's like to recognize our uncleanliness or recognize our uh, imperfect nature, to recognize our inability to answer God's call or to live in the way he's invited us in this world, and yet also to trust that where God calls, he also equips. And that's the story of Isaiah, uh, a man who, who recognizes he's not up to the task, but realizes that God is and leans in. Here am I, send me.
1: Isaiah is also told how Israel will respond to the message that he is, he is about to give, which makes it even more remarkable that he's like, yes, send me. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, he said, Go and tell this people be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused and make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and be healed. And it's it's a little hard to understand. It's this poetic language, but here God is saying that Hey Isaiah you will you will call these people out you will tell them that they are turning away from God and they will become more wicked. It's this paradoxical effect that Isaiah is being called to speak truth to the Israelites but for the most part they will reject what he is saying. And it's interesting Jesus actually quotes um this this passage.
0: Yeah, in Mark chapter uh, 4 verse 11. Jesus told them uh, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you but to those on the outside everything uh, I, is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven
1: And again, Jesus quotes this. It's interesting. This is one of the the few quotes that's in every four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was really important for the Gospel writers to bring this out, that everyone will be invited to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but not everyone will be ready to hear. Not everyone will be ready to understand and to receive it. And so this is a really hard thing for Isaiah, even as he's being called, here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to do. Isaiah knows that most of the people are going to reject what he's going to say.
0: Isn't it human nature to be convinced that what we already know is right? What we already believe is the correct way of thinking. Uh, but the fact is, we don't know what we don't know, right? And, and and if we were to be able to posture ourselves in a way that we were listeners, learners more readily, uh, I think we find ourselves much more able to lean into uh, the way of Jesus in this world. Uh, Jesus, in his time, was confronted with the Pharisees, the religious leaders that were prideful and that were ruling the way they wanted to. And for that reason, they were absolutely unable to hear the good news. News and the hope that Jesus was bringing to Israel and the world. Uh, on the flip side, you, you see hurting people, uh, blind beggars, and, and, and marginalized people within the community readily able to, willing to listen to and hear and perceive the good news of Jesus. Okay, so let's dig into, uh, the prophecy that Isaiah then is bringing to the nation of Israel, uh, found in chapters 1 through 39. We're gonna highlight a few things. Uh, we're gonna walk through, uh, this, this series, this flow of the accusations that God, uh, it, it holds against Israel. The accusations, the, the wrong that they have committed. Uh, secondly, God's judgment, uh, what, what will be the result of Israel's decisions, and then third restoration, and this is the cycle that we see throughout the prophets. Um, so, to, to represent that, we'll begin with the accusations, um, and we're in Isaiah chapter one, verse twenty-three. If you want to turn there with me, uh, but God's accusations against Israel are, are threefold, primarily in the book of Isaiah: mistreatment of the poor, greed, and idolatry. Isaiah one twenty-three.
1: Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless, and the widow's case does not come before them.
0: So God's first call against Israel is you are corrupt, your systems, your your government, the way you rule uh, the way the rulers engage is corrupt and uh, and he goes on to to mention. The lack of defense for the fatherless, the widow, and and this is language that if you read scripture, if you read the Old Old Testament especially, uh, you you can't miss this language. It comes up over and over. The fatherless and the widow, the orphans and the widows, and, and it might make us wonder. Uh, and and the immigrants, yeah, it, it'll speak a lot to that as well um, in God's law. You see. Uh, sometimes when we read scripture, um, I think we uh, misunderstand uh, the context in which God is laying out these laws. The orphans and the widows you see they were um, they were a marginalized class within Israel they had no representation of the, the of their own no way uh, to advocate for their own well-being to make a living what god describes in the law and what we see isaiah calling out against israel is that they have left people in their society with no way to care for themselves they have they've have, the the rulers are taking bribes and getting rich while others in society are left with nothing and no way to better their circumstances you see the the book uh the, the Scripture, all of Scripture, born of Israel, a patriarchal nation, um, was not a prescriptive system of the way that we ought to conduct ourselves in society. Uh, what, what, what we read here is actually God trying to make provisions for those that would be left out in a society you get what I'm saying? As, as opposed to this being prescriptive, this is God seeing the cause of the needy and ensuring a society is, is stepping up to the plate and, and uh, providing equity and opportunity for people in that society. So God's first charge against Israel is you have lost sight of my intent for the way society would operate, one that cares for the poor, one that cares for those that are in need.
1: And Isaiah will continue, and he'll call out the sins of greed and idolatry. Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 6. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Some pretty harsh language here. And and, and at first glance at it, you're like, what's wrong with silver and gold? What's wrong with horses? And, And nothing in and of itself is wrong with those things. And yet what was happening was very, very wrong. Like Micah was describing this, um, syncretism was happening where they believed in God and then they saw the nations around them and they, they started to take on some of those beliefs and they started like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to practice this and I'm going to worship this idol. And and slowly as they started mixing religions, um, they were unable to worship God because what they were practicing were two or three or four beliefs that were opposed to each other. You can't worship God and also worship an idol. And so Isaiah is saying, you have abandoned Yahweh. Though you say you haven't, abandoned Yahweh by also worshiping all these other idols. You are indeed abandoning Yahweh. And he's calling out the sin of greed as your security is found in wealth and resources. They were seeking after the gold and silver and the treasure, and that is what their security was based on. The horses and the chariots, that was all about military strength and basing their their security on their alliances with other nations and on their own ability to defend themselves um, with their military power. And so Isaiah here says these really harsh words says, you have abandoned God. And the consequence is that God will abandon you. Now we know that that this isn't the final word. This isn't the last word to Israel. So the story will continue and God is always faithful. But Isaiah is saying here that you're not worshiping God and God is not okay with this
0: so God has through Isaiah laid out to Israel his accusations against them um, primarily in this book it has to do with mistreating the poor with greed and idolatry so God has has accused them you have fallen short of covenant in these ways and next comes the statements of judgment and you can read that in chapter seven I'm going to paraphrase uh, what that judgment looks like for time's sake today um, but uh, Isaiah says To the nation. Uh, First, Assyria will come and overthrow your nation, and then eventually, Babylon will rise up to world power, and Babylon will come and destroy Jerusalem, at which time, um, Israel is taken into exile. That is, many of the skilled people and many of the most capable people are taken off to Babylon, where then they're put to work in a new place. Uh, Isaiah says that um, the result of your unfaithfulness to God is that you will no longer be a sovereign nation. And there is pain and suffering ahead in that journey.
1: So Isaiah's and the prophets, you see this all over, all over the prophets. There's this strong accusation. There's a strong warning of judgment, but it doesn't end there.
0: Correct. And I need to say one more thing about Go the judgment it. that I missed. Um, uh, so Assyria and then Babylon will come and take over. But it's interesting to me that Isaiah also clarifies for the people that God has not taken the side of Assyria or Babylon. Uh, soon Sarah will explain the restoration piece. Um, but that God uses these nations to come in and, and, uh, and, 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 there there will be punishment and the loss of the state of, of Israel, um, but that he will create a new, a new Jerusalem, and Isaiah specifies that he will uh, take revenge on Assyria and Babylon also for the harm that they will cause. So,
1: so there's gonna be judgment, but after judgment is restoration. And this is really the final, the final word of God is always God's heart is, is towards salvation, towards restoration. And so God will fulfill his covenant promises even though Israel is not keeping covenant. And so as we look at the restoration, um, spoken of in Isaiah. It really is also threefold. Isaiah speaks of a remnant that will return to God. Isaiah speaks of a king and a, and a kingdom that is very significant. And Micah's going to talk more about that next week. And then God speaks uh, of peace through Isaiah. So let's read about the remnant of Israel in Isaiah 10, chapter 10, verse 20. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. The remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Through Though your people be like the sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed overwhelming and righteous.
0: The hope in this passage doesn't entirely sound like hope. Like, (laughs) you see clearly that there is significant consequence and that there would be suffering in this season of their journey. But there is... The hope. There's the restoration of a remnant.
1: Right. And there's this contrast at the beginning of of uh, what we read here in verse verse 20 here, contrasting Israel who was relying on the one who struck him down. So Israel is relying on these military alliances with the nations around them, with Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. And yet that's not where their salvation is going to come from. But rather by relying on God. Um, this remnant is a major theme in the prophets, no matter how many people turn away from God, God will always be faithful. And so there will always be a remnant and God will fulfill his part of covenant through that remnant. It's interesting. I was reading in Romans and Paul also uses this language in Romans eleven five. Paul will write. So, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And I love that, that that theme not only carries throughout the prophets, but throughout um, the New Testament as well.
0: So a remnant will return. And further, Isaiah, in uh, chapter 9, verse 6, uh, will speak of a new king, that, that Israel would be a nation again, at least as they would interpret it. We'll get into the details. Nine, chapter 9, verse 6, um, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This is the prophecy of Isaiah that often we read at Christmas time as we remember Jesus' birth, right? Uh, but this this is where that, that prophecy is initially found, and it's this beautiful tale of God restoring, God bringing a king. And it's really interesting to think that Isaiah is at the very end of the season of kings in Israel. They will no longer be a sovereign nation after this point. And, and he's saying, but don't worry, you will have a king again. And it's interesting when I when I look at the history of Israel and, and these prophecies about Jesus coming, to think about the fact that maybe it's not so surprising that Israel was confused by Jesus and the kind of king that he was, right? In this moment, the hope is you'll have a new king, which they think means we'll have our kingdom back and we'll rule in a sovereign way. Uh, But of course, Jesus comes to establish a different sort of kingdom, which you do see in the prophecy here as he speaks of justice and righteousness uh, from that time on and forever. Jesus, the eternal king in the line of David, is what Isaiah speaks of here.
1: I really like in verse six where it has, um, a list of names for this king, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of peace. And what's so, um, what's so amazing to me is in the Israelite culture, the name was really powerful. So the name described the character of that person. And so if we're to read these names, thinking about Jesus, what, what's the character of Jesus that is revealed in these names? A wonderful counselor. I love that. Someone who is with and with us and present. Um, mighty God. Jesus is a mighty, uh, mighty, and He Jesus is divine, everlasting, forever Father. And I think of the mystery of the Trinity that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and they're three and yet also one. That it, God exists in one community, and then the Prince of Peace, and the idea of shalom, which is which is the word for peace in Hebrew, is wholeness and well-being, that Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the one who will bring about wholeness and
0: well-being into this world. So the hope uh, that Isaiah speaks to Israel is is you will have a new king. Uh, and, and at this point in Israel's history, the kings are incredibly corrupt. It's evident to everyone. The downfall of the nation is because of the corruption of the rulers uh, in this nation. Uh, but the hope is that you'll have a new king. And, and it describes this king and this new kingdom will be one of justice and righteousness. And notice this is in direct contrast to the accusations God has made against Israel of greed, of mistreating the poor. Uh, he says this new king and this new kingdom will be one of justice and righteousness.
1: And then Isaiah goes on and he speaks more of this shalom, of this peace. And there's this image that is just gorgeous. So I want to I go to Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. I love this image of, of these animals who do not live in harmony, living in harmony. These animals in which their relationship is normally prey and predator. Um, we see them living in a community and taking care of each other. And I think it's just this really powerful illustration of the salvation that, that God is bringing. Um, when you think about the food chain and it's, it's a chain, you know, with a hierarchy and one animal's survival depends on the death of another, right? And so, um, it's a choice between one animal. And another animal, just watch National Geographic. <laughs> like you see that. I remember comforting our girls when they were little because I had a National Geographic show on and I don't know if it was a, someone was dying, you know, someone was eating some, something was eating something else. And that's just how the natural world works, right? And here's this image of prey and predator. And this description of, of a community of shalom, of God's peace, is different. That in the kingdom of God, there is another way of being. In the kingdom of God, there is enough to go around. That one person's survival does not depend on the death of another, but rather there is enough um, to go around. And that there is harmony and that everyone is able to thrive.
0: We need to zoom out and, and kind of look at the overview of of what Isaiah is saying, and then we'll we'll move towards conclusion. Um so in the book of Isaiah uh, this prophet has come to Israel um first with God's accusations against the nations uh, the nation secondly a, a, a description of the judgment that is coming of Assyria and Babylon coming to overthrow Jerusalem and then finally a, a message of restoration a restoration that will uh, involve a remnant returning to Israel a new king that will establish a righteous and just kingdom for all and it will be a place of peace for all humanity. Uh, the book of Isaiah is, is challenging, um, both in its size and its content. Uh, the, the reality is, is there is a harsh judgment and there's a harsh reality ahead for the nation of Israel. And what's curious to me, both in Isaiah and really in all the prophets, we see glimpses of this, is the way the, the the author, Isaiah, can shift between the judgment, the accusation, all of this hard stuff to then a moment of praise about God's goodness. And we're going to look at one such case in Isaiah. It's, it's, the, it's in chapter 12 in the book of Isaiah. And we're going to close on this theme that even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the pain, there's space to praise God. Isaiah t- chapter 12.
1: Starting in verse one, in that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength. And my defense, he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation.
0: In that day, you will say, "Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted." Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among.
1: The final word is that God is a God of salvation. That God is a God who wants to save and is present and comes to save. And so God is worthy of praise. God, even though there are harsh words of judgment and warning for Israel in here, God will be faithful in the end. And God is their salvation and strength and their defense. And friends, God is our salvation. And our strength and our defense. And so our reason for praising, our reason for joy is that God will save. And I love living in the age that we live in now. God has Saved. God is saving. It's all happening. And it's such an amazing thing to be a part of.
0: Any one of us might find ourselves in a different place in this uh, text and this story today. Uh, Some of us in rebellion, uh, some of us uh, feeling inequipped and unable to do the things God has called us to. Uh, Some of us in a season of real struggle in life, some of us in a season of joy in which we are recognizing and experiencing God's love and goodness in our lives. We each probably find ourselves in a little bit of a different place. But we know this from the text today, uh, God is a God that saves. God is a God who is faithful. And so today as we close out, uh, we're going to turn our attention towards Jesus. The culmination of all of this prophecy. He is that king that has established a kingdom uh, of justice, uh, a place of peace in our lives. And as we remember Jesus, we're going to share in communion today. So if I can get the band to come back up, they're going to lead us in a song as we close out in communion today. Uh, You see, in communion, we have an opportunity to remember Jesus, his love and his sacrifice, his body broken, which is represented by the bread that we'll share in, um, his his blood poured out, represented by the juice that we'll drink. Uh, Today, we get to remember that all of this prophecy about God's salvation that would come through Jesus uh, has been realized by Jesus, the suffering servant that we'll read about next week in Isaiah. Jesus, who came to sacrifice himself, Uh, to atone for all that is wrong and broken and evil in this world, uh, that we might be restored to relationship with God. You see, we are the people that have received God's love and goodness and salvation. And so one of the ways we uh, live into what God has done through Jesus is that we share in communion. And so today, anyone that would like to share in communion is invited to. It's uh, been prepared and it's on the tables in the center and at the back of the auditorium as the band leads us in in a final song today, uh, you're invited to to walk over and and to take that bread and remember uh, Jesus' body broken for us, to take that cup and drink of that and remember his blood poured out for us. Let's pray, and then, if you guys can lead, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a time to uh, dig in. Uh, to your word, uh, to be challenged and um, confused, and all the things that might come up, God, as we as we dig into this. Thank you uh, for the depth of it and our invitation uh, to a lifetime of exploring and knowing more of it. Uh, thank you, Spirit, that you're here with us, that you're our our counselor and our guide as as we journey through this life. And we're thankful, Jesus, uh, for your love and your sacrifice that we remember now as we share in communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.